Wasn't that amazing watching? Amen. My favorite part, I was asking Joe actually in the back, is watching him speak with them. Because, and I, and I asked him, tell me what you say. He says, well, it's different sometimes, but most of the time I'm telling them, hey, it's just you and me right here. And I want to remind you that Jesus knows your name, that he knit you together. He formed you. He called you to this place. He knew your name on the cross. He knew your name when he came out of the tomb. And you're here because of that. And I, I love seeing the looks on faces and you can see people and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just, you can't help but have emotion, right? Even in us. Why is that? Because it's probably one of the most important things you'll ever do is to say yes to Jesus. And that's a reflection of that decision. But as we study God's word, those kinds of conversations with people, watching Joe with those people at that moment, at that place is what Jesus did all of the time. And you're going to see him talk to somebody, actually a group of people this morning. And it's, it's a serious, he's not all the way there with these people. Like at the end where it's like, yeah, we're ready. We understand. They're kind of like this to him. And you're going to see that and experience that. But I want to tell you, I've prepared less. The reason is because that is the last part of the sermon today. It is to be a visible teaching tool for you and maybe a place of response that Jesus is wanting you to get to that place. If you have a copy of God's word, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11. If you don't, and by the way, if it's not something you're used to doing, it's totally okay to look in the index to find out where is Luke. Um, that's, we all had to do that at some point, and I still do it sometimes. I'm like, man, I can't. I start singing the songs that I learned when I was a kid to try to figure out where that book is. Um, so Luke chapter 11, verse 29, let's look at Jesus having a conversation with people who they aren't there yet, but they're thinking about these things and he's pressing. He is, sometimes you have Jesus coming in and it's, it's a boiling point with pressures building. And all of a sudden he says something and people look like they're about to pop. And that's, that's our Lord. That's how he works. I pray it's the same for you this morning. That's what God's word does for us. So Luke 11 verse 29, a conversation between Jesus and a group of people. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation, yeah, all of you looking at me right now is an evil generation. Oh, you mentioned when the disciples were like, oh, did, you just, did he just say that? He just said that. We should have talked to him earlier. <laughs> this is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. Prove it. Show us that you're God. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Crowds are increasing. Most people would say, that's awesome, Jesus. Your ministry's working. Crowds are growing. Look, let's, let's take advantage of this. Let's, let's move this thing along. Jesus looks at the crowd growing and he says, hmm, this is a problem. I'll take care of this. And calls them evil. Well, Lord... What are you doing? So Jesus knew how to draw a crowd, obviously, but he also knew how to disperse a crowd that wasn't there for the right reasons. He knew how to get straight to the core of who people were. 
Our world would say, make the most of this opportunity. You have big groups of people here. You got to get your brand out, Jesus. You got to work with your popularity. Good old public relations, right? We all know this. If the world says to do that, Jesus does the opposite. In fact, there's a great tool of teaching there, a great truth for us as believers to not think that the ways of the world are the best way, but reliance on the spirit. So Jesus sees the crowd and his intent is, I'm going to break this crowd up because it's the wrong motivations. You'd think though, if he sees really important people, it's like, ooh, that's the leader of the Sanhedrin. Ooh, that's the leader of the Pharisees. That's a government official. That's a soldier. That's a, ooh, I see money. I see power. What should I do? Let's, I have been waiting for you to come see me. Now that you're here and you're super important, I'm really glad. You want a sign? No problem. A sign coming right up. Is that what he does? Says no, (laughs) no sign for you. Except, the sign of Jonah. Instead, he wags his hand in front of them. This group of people is an evil generation. You're going to get oatmeal from the Bible. It's almost as if he looks into the Old Testament. He's like, what is a really obscure book? Jonah, that'll do it. You're getting oatmeal for a sign. You get Jonah. Did you know if you open up, you should try this, to the book of Jonah, it has a smell open it up and it's like, oh, fish vomit. (laughs) That's what you smell if you open up to the book of Jonah. So Jesus says, you know what you get? You're going to get fish vomit. You're going to get a guy who didn't even love the people he was speaking to, to a wicked, evil city that didn't deserve to have anybody telling them that God wanted them to turn. And Jonah is a bit of a jerk. As far as ministers go, Those who are sharing the love of God, he was a jerk. He said, I don't want to do this. I don't love those people. Do we have that issue going on today where it's like, yes, God so loved the world, but I don't really want all of the world to know him. We wouldn't say that out loud, but we probably have issues with certain people coming to know Jesus. We'd rather God just stick it to them, right? I don't want them to be singing next to me. I want you to deal with them. Jonah was that way for Nineveh. He's like, I don't care about those people. You want me to go to them? No. And left. Got on a boat. Went the opposite direction. And God's judgment comes on him like a flood. Poured out on him and the people that he was with. So, and his message was very simple. You want to hear Jonah's sermon in a sentence? Here's what it was. He smells like fish vomit. He walks into the middle of the city and he says, 40 days in this town will be overturned. See ya. (laughs) Quite a sermon, right? That was it. That's all that he said. And so Jesus says, this is what is the best sign for you. If we listen carefully, dig a little in our own hearts, we're gonna see that this isn't oatmeal from the Old Testament. This is the best possible sign that they could see. It's the best possible sign. So let's talk about Jesus, Jonah, and baptism. This. Water. What do you think about when you watch people do that? I was telling Joe when I was a kid, I was probably eight years old, 
there are three things I was afraid of in life. Getting baptized, driving, because I only knew how to get to Jason Skate's house, <laughs> and the wedding night. I thought that must be something you just have to get over with because I don't want to do any of those three things. <laughs> Baptism. I think I thought I would probably drown. But what I want you to think about when you look at the baptismal, kind of a weird word for a dunk tank, but think about Jonah being thrown overboard because he's on a boat. They're dying. The storm is coming. It's going to take the boat to the bottom. These are pagan sailors. They do not know the God of Israel. Jonah's down in the boat asleep. Remind you of any story from the New Testament? Yeah, he's down there sleeping. The storm is raging. They go down and they say, hey, can you like pray to your God or something for us? Because ours aren't answering. So God is actually trying to reach even the sailors in Jonah's disobedience. And he says, it's me. Just throw me into the sea. Throw me into the water and it'll be over. I'll take the judgment. Water in the Bible, many times think flood, think going through the Red Sea. It came back down on the Egyptians is a sign of judgment. Throw me into the water. Eventually, they throw him in. The storm stops immediately. Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish, sits around in stomach acid and other parts of fish and whatever chariot wheels stuff back then for three days and three nights. Hmm. Another story in the New Testament, three days and three nights eventually is vomited onto the beach, finally obeys and goes, gives his very lame, pathetic sermon and people turn the whole town. And it's huge. It says it took him three days to walk the entire length of Nineveh he waited until he got one day in and then he yelled out his pathetic sermon. You're all gonna die in 40 days. And I'm glad about it. <laughs> and even when God saved them, all the way up to the king, he's mad. He's mad about it. Can't believe you saved them. Went and sat and just sulked. I'm so upset that you saved them. And Jesus says, yep, this is the sign. This is the one you need. You, this crowd right here, this evil generation, you need Jonah. Now, Jesus expands on his Jonah sign statement in Matthew and spells it out for us. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Amazing. What is the sign that they need? What is the sign that we need? Jesus Christ crucified, put into a tomb, three days later, coming out. That is the sign. Crucified, resurrected, and the only way to avoid judgment. Now, is it wrong to want to know for sure that Jesus is who he says he is? No, of course not. But he's working on motives here. He knows that people aren't really wanting to move. They're not asking for a sign so that they can make a decision. He knows that what they need is him. They need him as the sign. Now think about what was about to happen to Jesus. He's about to be baptized in God's judgment. 
on the cross, it's going to be completely poured out on him for us. And then he's going to conquer death and come out of the belly of the earth. Jesus, Jonah was the prophet who didn't want to go to the people. Guess what? Jesus is like, I'll go. I will willingly go and tell them of your love, Father. I will go. I will be the sacrifice. Doesn't take him a long time to get. He says, I will take on me the baptism of judgment. He's the only way to salvation. So Jesus, you want me to go to my friends who say, why should I believe in Jesus with, you need the sign of Jonah. Is that really how it works? He expands on his answer. Look at verse 31. The queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Who's the queen of the South? She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, the one that he was wagging his finger at, and condemn it. For they repented at the pathetic preaching of the fish vomit smelling Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Short summary of what Jesus just said to them and to us. People in eternity will be witnesses at your trial at the judgment. What? People in eternity right now will be witnesses at your trial at the judgment. Now it's two words. I don't know if you caught them. The queen of the South will rise up at the judgment. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. Yes, there will be one time where we will all stand before the Lord. So these kinds of statements kind of give me the chill bumps when I think about them, because I think about Hebrews 12, which says, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses this morning, as we worship, as we make huge decisions, you got guys up in heaven like this, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Mary, they're like this. Oh, Winona. Cool. What's on that channel today? So-and-so is going forward. Sweet. A cloud of witnesses. And they're not just watching, observing passively. You know what they're saying? Go, 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 run, run to him. He's everything he says he is in the scripture. <laughs> they are cheering you on. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We see Jesus in the passage a few weeks ago we talked about. He's standing there with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Moses and Elijah very well alive after many, many years of supposedly being dead. Why are they alive? Because everybody's resurrected. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because they're up there hmm, watching. Did you know this? That the Bible teaches that every human being that has ever lived will be resurrected. There is no poof. Then you're gone. Short-lived. You leave this life, you enter the next. Here's the kicker though. You're resurrected either to eternal life with Jesus or eternal life apart from Jesus. And no matter what some preacher today or some current modern reinterpreting the scripture type of person will tell you that it's really not that bad, it's bad. It's the worst thing that could ever happen to you to be separated so let's take a little deeper. Let's make it personal, which is what we need to do. 
the people in our life right now that are celebrated. Think about how our culture celebrates sports heroes, celebrities, movie stars who somehow achieve accolades and hero status only because we're also messed up. That's why we worship them. But when they die and they're made fully aware of the truth, they understand that the only thing that matters, even though they live their whole life in this celebrity kind of culture, they, the only thing that matters is following Jesus Christ. So let's take another person that you know, but you don't know him personally. Maybe you do, but Kobe Bryant. I don't know a ton about Kobe Bryant. I know basketball. I tried it in junior high. Five, eight doesn't go very far. <laughs> no matter how much I try to pull some Jordan stuff, like it just doesn't work. Um, Kobe Bryant, amazing basketball player. And what happens when a celebrity that we all love dies? Oh, we're just devastated. It's awful. We're drawn in so many stories, so many tributes, all this stuff. What do we know about Kobe Bryant and his relationship with God? If you do a search online, you'll find one story that says he was kind of a quiet Catholic who at one point was accused of sexual impropriety with somebody and a priest helped him through that. That's it. Now, I'm not trying to make a judgment on his life. Maybe he was a quiet follower of Jesus, but we do not know him to have been someone who was vocal about his love for Jesus, about Jesus being the only way, about Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords and that this life is worth nothing. We don't know that about him. We never saw that. We never heard that. Can I tell you what Kobe Bryant would tell you today? First, let me tell you what he wouldn't talk about. Not one word about basketball. Though he loved it and enjoyed it, not one word. Not one word about being a celebrity and all the money he had and all the stuff that he was able to enjoy about that. You know what he would tell you today? He would say, run as fast as you can to find and follow Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying about the Ninevites. Because you may be like, well, I don't know the Ninevites. I knew Kobe, not really, but everybody that dies is resurrected. And that's why Jesus can say the men of Nineveh, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the South. He makes it very clear. Someone from Nineveh knows you. Right now, somebody who lived in ancient Nineveh knows you, your life right now. And they would say the same thing that Kobe Bryant would say. The same thing that the great cloud of witnesses would say to you, run after Jesus. Run hard. Jesus tells a parable about somebody in hell. And you know what they're saying? Even in hell, it's true. He is who he says he was. Can you send somebody back to tell my family? Jesus says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. They've got everything they need in the word of God. But even people in hell would be telling you, follow Jesus. He is who he says he was. He is who he says he was. Somebody from Nineveh knows you. Now this is the Sistine Chapel. Let me pop it back up there. The last judgment, Michelangelo painted this. Can I tell you, he didn't paint it just to say, I'm a great artist. 
He painted the last judgment. If you read it all about Michelangelo and a lot of the guys that were painting biblical imagery, it's because they were caught up in it and they wanted people to worship. They wanted people to consider these things. The fact that Jesus, you know, and they're always kind of weird and naked and lots of weird muscles that I don't think people have anymore. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in Renaissance paintings and stuff like that. But either way, he's in the center. Everyone else surrounding him is waiting for his judgment, his words. Now, let me show you a close up. This guy is one of the damned. And if you find him, and I encourage you, look it up. The Last Judgment, Michelangelo, zoom into the picture, see if you can find this guy. But what you'll see is he's being dragged down by demons. And do you think at this point, he's realizing something? Something that he maybe did not consider to be true in his life? Yeah, the people of Nineveh, ancient Nineveh, they know you. Same reason Kobe Bryant knows you now, great cloud of witnesses. Because when you die, all that was clouded by your own life pursuits or by cultural pressure is instantly removed. We see now in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, it's all clear. So the people of Nineveh, the queen of Sheba, they'll step up at the trial that will be your trial. They'll say, do we have any witnesses for Chad Ellenberg? No surprise if somebody from Nineveh goes, yeah, I know him. I know his life well. It's the same for us. At this hearing, they will bear witness. This is what Jesus is telling us. They will bear witness to the truth of who he was. And here's what they'll say. Yeah, we saw the almighty sovereign power of the most high God and we had Jonah the jerk, the fish smelling reluctant prophet who told us all he told us was that our city was gonna be overthrown. We were struck by the power of God though and we repented, but we did turn to him. In other words, we were worse off and we knew less, but we still responded. And what is Jesus saying? You have me. You have no excuse. How about the queen of Sheba? She came from what was then known as the ends of the earth to find the wisdom of God. And Solomon, he was kind of a jerk too. A lot of sin in his life. Even she though saw the wisdom and the power of God. She would say the same thing. It, God used it, but you have Jesus. You have the sign of Jonah in Jesus. And that's why he says something greater is here. Jesus is here. You have more, you have him. And guess what? At that trial, you know what? The one person you want standing up for you, your advocate, is Jesus Christ. You want him to step up and say, and I know he will for me. He will step up for me and he will say, this one is mine. That's what I know to be true. Passed from death and life, death to life, Scripture describes it as you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. It's a very powerful conversation that's happening. Represents something very powerful. The problem is, and I think this is true for a lot of people, it isn't that we're completely in the dark. We have a little light. We actually kind of believe it, even if we don't live it. Jesus knows this too. Look at verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or in the basement or under a basket. You light a lamp so people can see it. 
so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So this whole conversation started with them saying, we want to see something real. Prove it, Jesus. Give us a sign. So no shocker that he starts talking about seeing with eyes. And how do we see? With our eyes and when somebody puts a light on something. Because if it's dark, are you seeing anything? Nope. So very simple, just real practical stuff there. Jesus says, all right, let's talk about seeing. Let's talk about what has been revealed to you. First thing he says is nobody does what you're doing right now. Nobody takes a light and says, oh, I needed that light, but let me go hide it in the basement. Let me cover it up. Let me put it out. But that's what they keep doing with their excuses as they talk to Jesus. You keep squinting. You keep closing your eyes. You keep taking the light and saying, shove it in the basement. I don't like it. I don't like what it's showing in me. I want to get rid of it. And Jesus basically says, you either let the light in completely or it doesn't count. All of that's why he uses these words, holy and fully and part dark and part light. It has to be all or nothing. Which is why he says, be careful that the light in you, and you could put that in quotation marks, isn't actually darkness. Because you could say, oh yeah, I know, I, I know Jesus. I have the light of Jesus in my life. I mean, I'm living like hell, but I know him. I go to church. I keep, I keep that account settled on the weekends and then I, you know, I kind of mess it up again, but then I, I come back. And so, I mean, I know him, right? Jesus says, be careful that what you think is light actually isn't darkness. This point in the story and at this point in their life, and honestly, I would say the same for us, there's still hope. He's still with them. They're re rejecting him. They're resisting him, but he's still with them. He's still talking to them. He's still in conversation. You're going to see him continue to go to people's houses that they're just, they're just tools in the next few passages. They're just jerks. They're having Jesus over to their house so they can just like hammer him with questions and try to find a way to get him. He keeps saying yes to these invitations. Sure, I'll have dinner with you. Sure, I'll have a conversation with you. He knows all along, but there's still hope. In other words, He's saying, I will leave the light on for you for now. I will keep shining this light in your face. I'll keep putting this lamp, this light into the light of your eyes. You will see it. Quit putting it out. Quit covering it up. Quit squinting. Quit closing your eyes. Let it come into you. See, I'm right here in front of you. The only sign you will need. See me. So I would say this to you this morning. Don't stay far from home. Don't stay in the dark. Don't snuff out the spark and flicker of light that comes your way by the grace of God. If you repent, which a lot of people will be like, oh, that's a scary word. It isn't really. It just means to turn. That's it. Turn. Turn from you to Christ, if you turn, if you change directions, if you confess 
your need of him. If you say, I want the judgment that was reserved for me to be applied to Jesus, I want to accept what happened there, that my judgment was poured out on him. I don't want it later because that's what the Bible says. If you say no to his death and resurrection, then you get death and resurrection later to the other place. Don't do that. I want you to picture, think about that story, the prodigal son, which is a, it's such a popular story that we actually have that idiom, that expression in our culture. Even when people aren't talking about Christianity, they'll be like, whoa, the prodigal son returns. It's like somebody came back to work, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they're not even talking about the Bible, but it's like that popular. I love to think about that guy living out in the country somewhere and him finally on the road and he's heading to the road and there's this hill and he knows when he gets to the top of that hill, he's gonna see his house and he knows what he's been doing and he knows how he's been living and he's walking this road and he's like, oh man, I don't know what I'm gonna find. And I want you to hear Jesus saying, when you reach the top of that hill and you look down the field to the house that is your home, you will not find him standing there like this. You will find him with the light on saying, come on home, come home. If you're seeing the sign of Jesus this morning, that he was indeed baptized in judgment for you. If you're hearing his voice this morning, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit calling to you this morning, why not come home today? Today's the day. Now, maybe the first time for you, and you know, this is the thing, you know, like the Lord's like, I remember when I was a kid and the, what, two or three times that I got saved, I think. <laughs> I went forward like so many times at camp, you know, it's like, I don't know if it took the last time, so I'm back, you know. Um, but you know, when he's speaking, it's like this thundering in your chest and you're hot and you're looking around and you're like, does anybody see me? You know, like, got to get out of here. But you know, he's talking to you. He's speaking to you. Now the worship team, come on up. And if he's speaking to you today, it may be for the first time. You may be saying, you know what? I think maybe that the light in me is possibly darkness. I've just been doing the whole religion thing for a while. I've never really understood that I need his I need to be baptized in Christ, in his death and resurrection, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to know him and the power of his resurrection. I've been trying to do this thing on my own. It's time. So what we do is we're going to have a few songs. And listen, if it's human pressure, you say no to that. If it's the Lord, you get up. And you go back to that corner, back there by the exit sign, there's a few people. And it could be one of two things. If it's the first time, you'll say something like this. You know what? I'm in. <laughs> it's that simple. I'm in. And they may ask you a couple of questions, but you're saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. I know that on my own, with my own sin weighing me down, I'm not going to make it. I'm hearing his call on my life. I want to be known by Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And you can, you could say, I'm in. You could also say this, I'm coming home and it's my first time. They'll take it from there. Some of you have been away for a while. 
and you've been living and this is a way for you to recommit and to publicly show your devotion and affection to Jesus. So what we'll do is we'll have a few worship songs, give you some time. Uh, if you have somewhere to be, it's okay. Nobody's gonna snarl at you and look at you like, ah, you're not a real Christian because you left. Go ahead, it's okay. Um, but if you're able to hang around for maybe 10, 15 minutes, it's usually what it takes for people. We've got everything you need. We got clothes, we got underwear, all that kind of stuff. As I said, first service, you may go home looking better than you did when you came here. Um, <laughs> So no excuses for, well, I don't have this and I don't have this for my hair and all, it's all taken care of. I don't even know what we have for all the hair stuff, but there's a lot of hair stuff for the girls. It's probably like no hair stuff for the boys, except the towel, but we got all the hair, everything, okay? But it's just to take away the, the hindrances. But is, does it require courage? Yes, it does. It does. Will you argue with yourself? Yes. After the service is over, I've even had this happen, had a few years ago, where it's like, it's over, music is done. Somebody came up and said, can I still get baptized? I said, yep, come on. Okay, if the Lord's asking you, we will accommodate, <laughs> we'll do it. Um, just listen to him and cheer for those who are making this decision today. Sound good? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the sign of Jonah. Thank you for the smell of the book of Jonah, Lord, because it reminds us that you can use anyone in any situation, anything that's happening, Lord, to pursue us, to come after us, uh, Lord, to remind us of our need for you. God, I thank you that um, this is really a simple decision for us. The work is complex. What you accomplished on the cross, how you conquered death and all of that, how you fill us, how you renew us and change us, that's super complicated, which is why we need your help. Um, I, we just ask that you would be who you are right now and uh, whisper in ears, put your hand on shoulders, knock on the doors of hearts. And uh, Lord, we will respond to whatever you're doing. And if that's none, that's okay. If it's one, whatever, we, we will celebrate and rejoice uh, as the one comes home. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, pursue us in this time. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing? And those of you, you know who you are. You know who you are. Get out of your chair. Go back there right now.